Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special Currents event episode of the Atlas Society Asks. My name is Jennifer Anju Grossman. My friends call me JAG. I am the CEO of the Atlas Society. We are pursuing our moonshot of introducing a billion young minds to the ideas of Ayn Rand in fun, creative ways, including graphic novels and animated videos. Today, we are joined by Dr. Michael Kaufman. He is live in Israel, uh, Tel Aviv. Before I even begin to introduce our guest, I wanna remind all of you who are watching us, go ahead and start typing in your questions into the comment section of Zoom, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or YouTube. You can uh, get your questions in and we will get to as many of them as we can. So our guest today, Michael Kaufman, has spent the last almost 30 years in the pharmaceutical industry. He currently splits his time between Tel Aviv, Israel, Miami, and Boston. Uh, he's a generous supporter of our work at the Atlas Society, and he gave one of the keynote speeches at our Gulch, Gulch Student Conference in Nashville this summer, uh, decrying the alliance of the mystics and the muscle in Israeli politics. He's been very critical of that, um, and he was advancing an agenda of how objectivist principles must set the uh, policy for a flourishing democracy in the Jewish state. Michael, I appreciate it. You're joining us. I know it is late there in Israel. Good to be here, and I'm glad we have electricity and internet. All right. Yes, because I know you were just mentioning that um, you are hearing the Iron, Iron Dome in action uh, and getting constant alerts. Maybe you'll show us one of those um, from your phone, and uh, you are just in and out, right, of the shelter there in your apartment building. Um, Hi. Oh, hi. Hang on. I got to figure out how to get stuff. Oh, Bambi Sailor, you okay with the dog? Yes. Hi, baby. How are you doing? All right. Well, let's, I think we have some other people who have joined. So let's ma make sure we get those um, muted, please. If you're not in the webinar, please mute yourself. Thanks. Um, so, Michael, first, just tell us a little bit about uh, how you came to be in, in Israel. Um, I haven't been there for many years. Uh, my brother was bar mitzvahed at the wall. My sister worked in a kibbutz there. Um, your wife is Israeli and your children are in school there. So tell us a little bit about your move and uh, how you came to be there. Sure. Um, my wife and I retired from running our pharmaceutical company, which we started and we decided, uh, and she led this of course, that she wanted to spend some time in Israel. And I thought that would be great. Uh, so we we jumped in here just just before COVID started, and actually by the time we got in, COVID it was taking off. Uh, so we had a rough go for the first year, but we've been here a couple of years. Uh, it's always been a um, very exciting time in Israel. We have the protests over the government. We had COVID, and that now we have the war. Um, but it's an amazing society, and it's certainly one of the most flourishing societies in the Middle East and, and even across the world. So we've got a lot of great stuff to talk about. And I should put a plug in too for the Mediterranean Sea and the beach. Beaches here are, are astonishingly wonderful. Well, between Miami and Tel Aviv, um, we, uh, we admire, we aspire, we don't envy, we aspire to, to, your, to your life. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you've been experiencing and, um, you were just mentioning that you're, you have friends. I mean, I think it's important to put this into context. I believe about 1200, um, uh, people have been killed by the Hamas terrorists on the Israeli side. Uh, if you compare that on a per capita basis, uh, to the United States, that's about nine times um, the the loss of, of what we experienced in 9-11. How is this showing up for you? Yeah, so I, I think it's, it's super important to do that. And I, I think everybody should, as you think about what happened here, if you're not aware of it, but, but even if you are, to think about the kinds of principles that we in America and frankly, a lot of Israeli principles um, are based on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if you think about a lot of Ayn Rand's principles about reason and purpose 
and self-esteem. And you just, just keep that in the front of you when you think about what actually occurred here. Um, I, my family and I were lucky enough to have been on a vacation because the high holidays um, were going on and we were outside the country and we were actually sitting in the um, waiting area ready to board a flight from Frankfurt back to Tel Aviv on Saturday morning when the flight was canceled. Um, and frankly, all flights from Frankfurt on Lufthansa were canceled and we had no way to get out. So we spent two extra days uh, in Frankfurt and we made it back on Monday. So I'll give you some real time stuff on Monday. But but for those of you who don't know or, or don't know some of the details, about 5.30 a.m., there were some altercations uh, either with drones or with people or with both at the border fence in Gaza. Um, there may have been a cyber attack as well because the security cameras that lined that fence were largely not functioning. There were drones that took out part of the fence. Um, that was followed by bulldozers and large gaping holes were made in the fence. And again, the details are not yet clear, but suffice it to say that 1,500 Hamas terrorists broke through that those holes in the wall, 1,500 terrorists entered Israel proper um, and started to branch out and attack many of the uh, towns that sit on the in the in the Gaza area down in the south of Israel. Um, these are largely these are people that are they do have security, but these are typically one or two security guards with with handguns and the Hamas terrorists were were with um, AK-47s or other machine guns, um, M-15s or whatever they're using. And it was literally a massacre. Um, there was a somewhat well-discussed uh, party that went on later in the day called a rave that occurred within a few miles of the border uh, that had several thousand Israelis there. And there were 260 people that were massacred. These were completely un- um, they had no weapons and they were just, they were just unprepared for this and they were massacred. Um, there were a large number of people that were taken hostage. The estimates were around hundred people were taken hostages. Those estimates, unfortunately, have gone up to 200 now. And there were 22 dead Americans that we know about, um, the vast majority of the other dead. And now, unfortunately, even since, uh, your latest updates, the latest numbers we have here are 1300 Israelis are dead and 200 unaccounted for with the um, that are known to be kidnapped. And still they are unfortunately uncovering dead people as they remove debris. Um, at the same time that Hamas was attacking with their ground terrorists, they were firing missiles. Um, Hamas is one of the poorest countries, uh, I shouldn't say countries, one of the, it represents one of the poorest areas in the world. And what they, what they have plenty of, and the only thing they have plenty of is missiles. Uh, approximately anywhere between 2,500 and 5,000 missiles were launched on Israel in the first 24 hours. It's a, it's a mind-boggling number if you think about it. Uh, and if you think about where you live and if you even had one missile come at you and land near you, how you would feel and how terrified you would be. Uh, unfortunately, Israelis have been living this with this for a very long time. Um, Anyway, we are here now. Um, the army was very slow to respond and there's, there are plenty of apologies and explanations and there will be investigations about why this was and where our troops actually were stationed, uh, where the specific Gaza uh, enforcement group was, et cetera. But this all led to the numbers that, I, that I've told you. There were over 3,300 wounded about a tenth of them are seriously or in critical condition. Um, so we'll unfortunately probably lose a couple hundred more there. And Let's talk a little bit about where those those missiles are are coming from. They have them in uh, a seemingly unlimited supply. Who's funding that? Yeah, so, so behind all of this is fundamentally Iran. None of this would exist without Iran. And we have all known this since, um, we had trouble with Iran a long time ago since the attempt to limit uh, Iran's nuclear program by giving them billions of dollars, uh, much of which has led to the missiles both in the Gaza territory as well as northern 
the northern part of Israel, which borders on Lebanon. So the, the whole southern part of Lebanon, uh, which is controlled by Hezbollah, another terrorist group, again, an Iranian proxy, um, also has probably 100,000 missiles, uh, all almost all funded by Iran. There are abilities within the Gaza Strip to produce some munitions. Um, most of these are very low tech, low yield, um, short range, still can do a lot of damage. But the more precision missiles, including the ones that have been shot at Tel Aviv and even Haifa, um, which is the northern part of, of Israel, are, are all Iranian technology and mostly Iranian ports, uh, parts. And you'll see every now and then in the news that the Israelis have intercepted yet another ship that is supposed to be carrying humanitarian aid, which of course is filled with various kinds of weapons um, to restock Gaza. All right, um, I, we're gonna get to some questions shortly. I see our friend Ed Hudgens has joined us, a few others, uh, including Jim Brown is here with us on Zoom. I wanna encourage all of you who are watching us across platforms to uh, type your questions in because we're gonna make this very interactive. Uh, but first, Michael, maybe if you'll just press see what you talked about at our student conference this summer in terms of the dysfunction um, and Atlas shrugging in Israel and any connections. Do you see a uh, connection with what you described for us um, a few months ago with the lack of preparedness and uh, the you know inadequate um, response? Yeah, look, I, I think the coincidences are way too strong. Um, very briefly, uh, a career politician, Benjamin Netanyahu, who has written in the past, uh, and this is prior to the current, his current regime, um, very, very grandiose, uh, arrogant comments about he, how he oversaw the transformation of Israel from an agrarian society to a high-tech powerhouse with some of the highest patent numbers in the world and so on and so forth. The skyscrapers in Tel Aviv, um, the, the amount of medical innovation, especially in the device areas, cybersecurity, high tech, agro business, it, the list goes on and on of, of what's come out of here. And, and fairly, it, it's fairly true that he certainly was present for a lot of this. Um, and he certainly surrounded himself prior to the current regime with people that obviously either allowed it to happen or fostered it, but as long as governments stay out of the way um, and you let people flourish, they can flourish. And, and Israel certainly has flourished. Um, what happened uh, is that Netanyahu is under indictment for multiple counts and multiple charges. Um, and he decided that this time around, he was gonna form a government that was going to consist of right-wing zealots uh, both uh, what I call the, um, the, the people that use muscle, that is people that are, want to shoot everybody else who doesn't agree with them, uh, and the mystics, this is, these are actually not my words, of course, these are Ayn Rand's words, and, and the mystics, which are the rabbis, the, the highly orthodox, super orthodox rabbis uh, called the Haradim or the Dosim, uh, and who, who believe that uh, Right now, what we have is, is not good unless everybody follows the, the Bible strictly. Women are in the back of the bus and it just goes on and on. Um, and then they mix together that group with this, the, the muscle group. And he has surrounded himself with the most right wing government ever present in Israel. And remarkably, none of the four or five major ministers in his cabinet have any experience and they have never been in the Israeli Defense Force. You have to realize that somewhere around 70% of the Israelis serve in the IDF because it's mandatory. The only people who are allowed not to serve are the Haradim and the Arab Israeli citizens who generally do do some kind of volunteering um, and will join some parts of the IDF, but they are not absolutely required to as far as I'm aware. But your run-of-the-mill Israeli, they send their kids after high school, those kids go for either a two-year for women or a three-year stint protecting the country. And then people remain in the Israeli reserves for many years after that. 
uh, and you, you may have seen that the um, reservists have been called up. So what's remarkable is that he's surrounded in people with that have no no knowledge of security. His his internal security minister, Ben Veer, um, never served in any kind of security situation. He has a justice minister who's a devout orthodox person who knows nothing about what we would all consider justice and so on. It goes on. Uh, and a lot of this was to keep Netanyahu out of prison and to change the legal system here weekly or biweekly, or I should say two to three times a week. There were massive protests involving several hundred thousand people across the country protesting the changes that were trying to be made on the judicial system. The economy has taken a big hit. The dollar has gotten much stronger against the shekel. Um, it used to be three dollar. It used to be three point one shekels per dollar. It is now three point nine seven shekels per dollar. This is the worst the shekel has performed in eight years. Um, the economy is in deep trouble and uh, anybody who's looking at the data knows that foreign investment is down by 60 to 80%. If you can believe these numbers, I can tell you in biotech, which is where I spend my time, there is no interest from any US or European investor that I know of to invest in an Israeli company now due to the uncertainty of what's going on. This is before the war. Hmm. Um, I also note that the only person in the cabinet who had any real IDF knowledge uh, Gallant, um, who is the uh, essentially the equivalent of our department, head of Department of Defense. Um, so he's the Minister of Defense. He was fired by Netanyahu several months ago because he didn't agree with the judicial reforms. And there was a massive uprising in the country. Around half a million people, I believe, went protesting. There were strikes. There was a general strike called the universities went on strike, the doctors went on strike, and all but emergency services were available uh, or were discontinued. Um, and this led to a reinstatement of Gallant shortly thereafter. But there's no question that Gallant is an outlier amongst this group of um, mystics and muscle. I don't think anybody could be very surprised that when a government is completely um, focused on essentially getting rid of the Supreme Court and changing the way judges are elected so that they they can own the judges um, and not focused on what's important, which is defense of the country. Right. That happen. Now, one other comment, and I'll, I'll turn it back over to you, Jen. The one of the things that the muscle group likes to do is they like to take over the West Bank. So right now there's disputed areas in what are called Judea and Sumeria, which are the West Bank, which are Sometimes these are Jewish areas, sometimes these are Arab areas, and sometimes they're mixed. Um, this group, this government has decided they're going to move most of the troops to the West Bank, which means that as far as we can tell with the information publicly available now, troops that were protecting the Gaza border were actually moved to the West Bank. And one of the reasons that the terrorists, so many of them, could run so freely for so long is because we didn't have sufficient numbers of troops stationed in the West Bank, uh, in the Gaza area, because they had been moved. One of the things I like to say is that the choice to do one thing is also the choice to not do another thing. And I applied that most recently to uh, COVID and the pandemic and the choice of the CDC to focus on the pandemic of racism and focus on gun control, you know, rather than focusing on what purportedly that agency is, is supposed to be doing. And clearly, I think we're also reaping the bitter fruits of that as well in Israel with the choice to focus on uh, political gain and staying in power and amassing benefit um, at the expense of not focusing on what the only job of a government, legitimate job of a government sh should be, which is the protection of individual rights, um, including the defense of its citizens from invaders. All right, uh, we are gonna can start- I just jump, Can I wanna jump one quick, real quick on that because I think you make a great point. Not only have they been ill-prepared, but the army is under equipped, they have uh, too little equipment. They don't have the right equipment. In many cases, it's out of date. The actually food distribution from the army is way suboptimal 
And we're not talking about moving food now like the Americans had to to Afghanistan. We're talking about moving food 10 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles. There, there just wasn't any preparation in this. Now, what's amazing about this country, and we saw it during the protest, is that everyday people, and we see it around our neighborhood, will go to the store, purchase two, $300 worth of, say, chicken, make schnitzel after, you know, it takes, pound out the chicken, make it into breaded, put it into sandwiches, and then they'll come out with a truckload of sandwiches, which will be taken to the troops privately. Mm -hmm. uh, and this this goes on with water. It goes on with foodstuffs. It's going on. I've seen bulletproof vests that are being donated um, because they don't have the right bulletproof vests. They're out of date. And now we're getting the, the proper modern ceramic ones. Um, this is amazing job by the people to to um, step in where the government has failed terribly. Yeah. Well, you know, there's Ayn Rand's famous quote about Israel uh, in a conflict between civilized men and savages. You support the civilized men that uh, Israel is the only country dedicated to the protection of individual rights in, in the Middle East. I was very disheartened to see us getting a lot of flack and pushback on that. But there is something about the Israeli sense of life in terms of um, the the fellowship, in terms of the focus on uh, self-interest and trade and um, building businesses and flourishing um, and not on destruction. And so i sorry, but if you can not recognize what happened over the weekend, the uh, invasion, the uh, slaughtering of civilians at a concert, the burning babies in their bed, the chopping off of children's head, if you can't recognize that as, as savagery, uh, what what would constitute savagery to you? So um, no, I think there's right. I think there's something more broken actually. I, I have to I have to agree with you and, and further that. Um, you know, a group of Harvard, 35 different societies from Harvard penned a letter supporting the Palestinians. I don't even know what that means. There's been multiple polls of Palestinians that would far rather work in Israel than work in Gaza because there are no jobs. It's there is a there is a leadership, quote unquote, which is a terrorist organization in Gaza who are animals and savages who are ISIS, another form of ISIS another form of Taliban, another form of the kinds of people that committed 9-11. And there are the citizens there who probably the majority are okay and actually good, who are caught in this horrible place and stuck in it, who've actually said when they can, they would rather work in Israel because their rights are respected and they're given work and they have they can develop some dignity. dignity. The, the fact that our students here in this country, and I do think a significant quantity. I don't know if it's a majority or a significant minority of our students. I, I don't know where they got their lessons from, but they don't understand this. And they, they somehow believe that good people will arise out of Hamas, despite everything that history has told us. And despite the fact that it has never, ever happened. It, yeah. It's just beyond me. Well, I think sadly that goes back to the, the Bush administration and the decision to uh, allow Hamas to um, have power and representation in those territories uh, with the idea that somehow they're going to, you know, improve. And in fact, we've seen quite the opposite. So, uh, all right, some questions. I'm going to get to our friend Jim Brown first. Um, he is wishing you, Michael, and your family the best has a very interesting question. If Israelis had a second amendment right to bear arms, would there be, would they be more secure against terrorist incursions like this? So the, the timing of that question is great, um, Jim, and, and that they were at least given it. I don't know if they had it before, but I can tell you that there's one town that has come under terrible um, attacks and, and missile attacks and and was in, and that's Sidorot um, down in the south, not far from Gaza. And um, they were just allowed to all get handguns. So I think you remember that a lot of the people here that were in the reserves do have access to weapons, in theory at least. 
Um, but there's no question that this country is going to arm itself. And there's a great trust. And by the way, if you've ever been to Israel, you'll, you'll see soldiers all over the place carrying their machine guns. Um, generally, they're not allowed to have any ammunition in them or, or, or they have to be highly trained to do that. And they walk around in public and nobody is afraid. Nobody is afraid. This, in, in general day to day, this is far safer than America because when, when people start to do bad stuff here, you have, you have dedicated good citizens who, who support the society, the civilized society and will take them out. And that's what they do. Um, so yeah, I think, I think there's gonna be a great arming of this. I can tell you that people in the South are terrified now that every time they open their door, terrorists are gonna come in. Um, there is the amount of trauma this is gonna occur. And these are for the people that have survived unscathed I'm talking about. I and mean, we're not even talking about the people that were actually attacked by terrorists. There were enough people who opened their doors and terrorists came in and either, you know, killed them, raped them, mutilated them, or kidnapped them, or all of the above, um, that those people are obviously in trouble for the rest of their lives. But there were enough people that, that didn't, this didn't happen to who are just as shocked and traumatized. Uh, so if you can, Michael, give us a level set in terms of what is the state of gun control in Israel? Um, can citizens buy own guns? That honestly, I don't, it, you know, Tel Aviv is a little bit of an outlier. I mean, it's a dense city. We have a lot of security around in general. Um, we have had terrorist attacks. We had the sort of the equivalent of Fifth Avenue, uh, New York City equivalent. We had a terrorist attack within the last year. Um, but we have we have a lot of good, trustworthy police um, and and secret service type people. Uh, they don't call it secret service, obviously, but they have Shin Bet, which is the FBI equivalent and so on around. So I don't know what the what the actual um, individuals can do right now. But I I strongly suspect that things are going to get much, much looser. We are, they are allowed to bear arms. Um, I just got a note from a friend of mine who's listening to this and who knows they're Israeli. And okay, yeah. They require a lot more training and, and you have to go through a much more strict licensing process. Interesting. All right, uh, Candice Morena, our friend on Facebook is asking Michael, what is the day-to-day -day in Israel right now? What, you know, this is Thursday. Well, this, yeah, this depends on where you live. You, I, I mean, I think, um, Quickly thinking about this, I would sort of put this into three classes. There's right now in Tel Aviv, the day to day is okay. On Monday, we were in our bomb shelter here in our, we're in an apartment building. We're on the seventh and eighth floor. We have a reinforced room, which has got a three inch thick, three inch thick steel door. It has um, its own air supply. Uh, it had, because it can deal with chemical um, and biological, theoretically biological weapons as well. Um, it has some limited electricity uh, and so on. Um, and we, we had to go in whenever you have a rocket alert, which is the app that I showed people at the beginning, uh, you, you need to get take cover and, and you can do that in your house now or you can do that in a public bomb shelter. Um, this is not dissimilar to what Americans went through when there were scares during the Cold War. But this is something people here do on an almost monthly basis. Uh, in, in Tel Aviv is also um, protected as are most of the major cities with Iron Dome um, and by David Sling and some of the other very high-tech anti-missile missiles that have been developed between Israel and, and the U.S. Uh, and, and by the way, are being used in other parts of the world with our friends because this is some of the best technology. Um, the, um, the life right now in Tel Aviv is reasonably back to normal. We, we had no sirens today. We had four or five yesterday. On, on Monday, um, we had a number of them when, by the time we had gotten in, uh, but they are declining. If you live in the South now, anywhere near, um, you're getting red alerts pretty much every hour. You are stopping what you're doing and you are running to some kind of a shelter every hour. There are no schools. It's difficult to get outside and buy stuff. Um, communication, I'm sorry, transportation is limited in those areas, there are missiles falling. The Iron Dome takes out many of them, but some get through. 
And if the people controlling Iron Dome believe that the missile is going to land in an area that's not um, not populated, then then it'll go. And if you happen to be walking there, then you're in trouble. Um, I should say that the other the couple of things to mention, though, that while all this chaos is going and kids are not back in school yet, all schools have been shuttered because they represent terrorist attraction points. Okay. Um, and we don't know for sure that all of the, imagine this, we're, we're six days into this and we don't know for sure that all the terrorists are, are captured and killed. Um, we had 1500 terrorists that we know about came in, but we don't know about the ones that other ones that might've come in. So we're still, we're all a bit, every time we open our door, we're a bit nervous mm -hmm. if it's, if it's really who it's supposed to be. Um, Talk Talk a little bit about the response, uh, the military response, Michael. Uh, we, we've talked about the invasion and the attacks. Bring us up yeah, to let date. Me, let me actually start with a, a little bit turning that on its head, because I'll get to the military. Um, wh what I'm shocked about, because this, this just wouldn't happen in America, at least not anywhere I've been in America. The, as I mentioned earlier, the number of people that are volunteering, producing food, collecting clothes, um, if it's for families that have been harmed, it's for families that have lost their homes or, or a substantial part of their stuff, it, for people who have loved ones who are in the hospital and so on, it, for troops that are running, that don't have enough food or don't have good food. Um, it, almost every family that we know is doing some kind of volunteer work and, and taking most of their day to, to support the army um, and to support the people that have been hit hardest by this. There are people that I know are dri have driven down south, even in the midst of this danger. There are people that are driving up north because Hezbollah is threatening to open up the northern front. And the other thing is that the reservists in the army, um, there's actually an overabundance of reservists that have come back to Israel. It's, it's unheard of. There are, there are now private charter flights being paid for by the government to get people back into Israel. Can you imagine a country in a war zone where people want to come back in? Um, to join the war effort and, and do their part. Um, the, the army took 36 hours or so, 24 to 36 hours to get its act together. It was certainly not the Israeli army that we all believed in and have seen in the past. There was no rapid response. There was a lot of chaos. Nobody really knew what was going on. There were unfortunately entire brigades of soldiers that were massacred at the beginning of this. I mean, it, it's never happened that I am aware of in the history of Israel, including the Yom Kippur War, and um, really since 1948, uh, that this, this sort of thing happened. Um, it, it's part of that's because the government just, there's nobody in the government except Gallant that has any idea what to do, and it's very hard for one person to do it. Um, since then, the government took all of five and a half days to come up with an emergency government to bring in three or four other people that actually know something about defense and, and how, to, how to support the security of the, um, of the country. It should never have taken that long. But when you're Ben Netanyahu and all you care about is how am I gonna survive this and make sure I don't go to jail, it's okay um, if you're, if you're suboptimal on your defense response. Um, the army is now on par with the best we have ever seen. They are, and, and the other thing I should say is that for the first time, and I, I've disagreed with my wife a long time on this, in the past, this is very important, in the past, Israel has always tried to avoid or minimize civilian deaths in Gaza by dropping dummy bombs first on any building that it was targeting to alert the people in the building that the, the building was Nothing's going to Okay. Now, of course, that also alerts the terrorists who can then go into their terror tunnels and so on. But the decision had been in the past that it was more important and ethical and moral for the Israelis to alert the, the potential civilians. They were the only army in the world that ever did this. The, the U.S. Army has never done that. We apologize when we have we kill people in schools by, you know, errant missiles and bombs, but we never, ever did anything like this. I found this practice, although I understand why it would be considered moral, and it sure as heck is much more moral than anything most other people would do. You can't fight a war that way. And I am pleased, I am pleased at least, to say that Israel took the, took the gloves off. 
that they are done with this, that, that when you have 1500 animals coming in to slaughter your people, um, and you have missiles coming in indiscriminately, missiles have always been indiscriminate. Um, they're never fired at, at defense uh, structures here. They're always fired at civilians. Um, that they, they, they are no longer doing this. They are bombing Gaza. They are trying now, they have bombed a lot in Gaza. Um, most normal countries would have given up by now. This is not a country, this is not normal. The Hamas leadership has no interest in its civilians, else they wouldn't have spent 95% of the money coming in um, to, to build military structures and so on. They would have spent it on its people. All the money that came from, from the European Commission, um, Qatar, Russia, uh, etc., all that money that was supposed to go for humanitarian aid went into building structure. So the, the Israeli army has decided enough is enough. And they are going to level, they are going to destroy Hamas. They are no longer interested in trying to slow Hamas down or put it off until the next attack. They have said they are going to destroy Hamas. They are, they have turned off electricity. They have turned off water. They have turned off um, all entry. And by the way, Egypt, which is supposed to be a friend to the Palestinians, has also turned off their uh, crossings. So let's be clear, this isn't just Israel, um, but nobody wants this kind, these kinds of people in their, in their country. Uh, the, the army is, is spot on right now and they are doing what needs to be done. Like I said, the number of missiles has gone way down. Uh, they, they have decided that any terrorist inside, caught inside Israel will either be captured or killed. They, they are going, they are shooting to kill. Uh, and they are also shooting people coming across the border because there continue to be attempts uh, to get across the Gaza border into Israel. They're sh they're shooting to kill. This might be a kind of dumb question, but from your perspective, what is the objective of Hamas? What are they trying? I mean, just trying to wrap my head around why they see this in their rational self-interest. Uh, killing, sowing destruction, fear, um, yeah. Yeah, one, one, one of the remarkable things about civilized people is we think everybody else is kind of like us. Yeah. <laughs> we walk into lion's den and we have a pet lion and we train him. And as you know, some lion trainers end up getting killed by the lions because at the end of the day, they are lions and they're wild and that's they got it they eat and they have instincts um the notion of rational to do with hamas or any terrorist is a misnomer um all first of all if someone comes in and says to you i'm here to kill you you generally you take them at their word so when someone has a constitution that actually says our stated objective is to annihilate Israel and to kill Jews. That is in their constitution. This is publicly available. You can download the Hamas constitution and you can see that that's what their state. So in, in that sense, they are following their rational code. Their code is to eliminate Jews. By the way, their end game is to make the entire world into a Muslim a caliphate. I mean, that's, it's not that different from ISIS. Um, these people are a little bit more barbaric and a little less religious. But at the end of the day, you're either exactly like we are or you're dead. It's, it's very, very straightforward and very simple. Um, they have a slogan, from the river to the sea. What that means is, is that they intend to take over all of the territory between the Jordan River, the West Bank of the Jordan River, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, which means completely annihilating Israel. And by the way, they will be happy to annihilate any other person, Christian, um, even Sunni Muslim getting in their way because these are generally Shiites funded mostly by Qatar and Iraq, Iran. Um, and, and that's what they, that's what they do. So there's no rational self-interest, by the way, every terrorist that came into Israel had to know that they were going to be martyrs. They were going to be killed. Now, of course, their religion teaches men that if they are martyrs, they get to go up to heaven and have 72 virgins. This is what we're dealing with. 
the, the West has somehow decided to soften all of this. We, we don't, this is not really what we're dealing with, they say. The constitution of Hamas is not really what they mean. They don't really mean that. What about, first of all, when someone says something and they're an adult, you take them at their word. And second of all, what about their behavior thinks, makes you think they didn't, don't mean that. Everything they've done, everything that Iran wants to do, everything that Hezbollah wants to do are consistent with that. Annihilating everybody else. That's what ISIS wanted. That's what Iran wants. And, and that's what Hamas wants. All right, we have 20 minutes left and many, many questions pouring in. Our friend Ed Hudgens uh, had asked a previous question about the reaction of morally degenerate US students on college campuses, which uh, you addressed in part. Um, but he wants to know what is taught in Israeli schools and you have children in Israeli schools, uh, enlightenment principles, technology from rational minds in the hands of entrepreneurs creating a prosperous future. Um, so yeah, what's, what's your experience? Have they also been, those schools also been infected by these kind of woke mind viruses of, uh, you know, identity politics and what have you? Yeah, um, I can tell you that, first of all, it's very hard to have woke politics when you're defending your country. And it's very hard to actually worry about the color of someone's skin when the person next to you defending your country is a different color skin, like who cares? I, I had the privilege of spending four days on a Magav base, which Magav is the border patrol um, base that was, and it's actually the, the training base is in the West Bank. So it's over the official line protected by Israel, but it's, it's not Israel proper. Um, and there were 60, 70, 80% people of color. Um, there were 30% uh, people that would be considered white here and generally are of Northern European descent. But there are a ton of, you know, there are a ton of people from Northern Africa, Ethiopia, Tunisia, Morocco. Nobody cares. Honestly, it is, it is beautifully shocking and, and really was a welcome thing that these, these young people just get along. And we spent, we were really immersed with them, a group of, of older men like myself, um, who support Israel a lot, uh, as part of the friends of the Israeli Defense Forces were there. And it, it was, it was beautiful. Um, the there there is a little bit of this kind of mushiness uh, here but it is nothing like the, the kind of baloney that has unfortunately the weeds that have grown up in, in america the, the people that don't understand that the reason they're allowed to shoot off their mouth and tweet and do all the things that they do is because other people have died for them to protect them uh, in their free society and they somehow don't understand that the that's on the protection side. They don't understand on the technological advancement side that the reason they have all these great things and essentially unlimited food supplies um, and so on and so forth is because other people have worked their asses off and sweated and burned um, to, do, to do this stuff. Um, they teach a lot more math in Israel. They, they are not trying to excuse it like they are in now in California. There's a move afoot in California to get rid of math in the first, all the way up until high school. Um, these people are the opposite. I mean, they are they are teaching geometry to my kid in second grade. Um, wow. Yeah. So she she gets that, and she even has her electronica electronics class in second grade. You know, it's it's early stuff, but but they're doing it. Um, they teach a lot of technology. They they teach Israeli history. Definitely from from the founding of the country to the holo for the Holocaust to the founding of the country to pre Holocaust um, Herzl Theodore Herzl, which is one of the founders and the town of city of Herzliya was named after and so on. Um, it's there's much less of the of the kind of mushy crap. They don't have time here for that. The one other thing I would say is that they you mentioned it already, um, Jag, that they have joie de vivre. They have a love of life here. For a people that are surrounded by enemies who want to annihilate them to a small strip of land where everything is too crowded, parking spaces are 90% of what they should be, you know, roads are just too narrow, et cetera. Um, they just love life. They're excited, they're energetic, they're all out and about. I always joke that, 
that Israelis are running at about two and a half times the speed of normal people. There's just a lot of motion here. And um, it, it's a very dynamic uh, culture. And, and I think that's the resilience you see during this horrible time where instead of moping at home and locking ourselves in, um, you see people volunteering, driving all over the place, getting on the phone. How can I help? What can I do? Interesting. Yeah, I wonder if there's almost this stoic uh, sense. It's, you know, remember death um, because it is present. It is uh, a actual real threat. And we think about um, times in, in the past wartime and that at the same time, there is this sense of grabbing life with both hands and uh, and enjoying it. All right, a um, couple more questions. Uh, on Instagram, Eternal Skeptic asks, can there be any reasonable critique of the government of Israel or do we write it off as anti-Semitism? Well, Eternal Skeptic, you are asking a guy who's been incredibly critical of the uh, Israeli government and as a Jew, I don't think it's anti-Semitic, but can you address that, Michael? Yeah, look, I, I mean, there's this, some ridiculous idea that that human endeavors are perfect or can be perfect. They can strive at the end of the day, you know, we're human. We we should strive to be the best that we can be. And, and you should strive to be good. That will prevent you from doing evil almost always. But you're never going to get it perfectly right. And there's always going to be your heritage and everything that you carry along along with you. The, the question is, and this is, uh, so I'm trained as a physician. If a patient has five things wrong with them, you don't generally deal with all five at the same time. You attack the one that's most likely to kill the patient first, and you knock that off, and then you move down the list. You prioritize. What I find so remarkable in these sorts of discussions is that somehow, while a group of people are in here murdering innocent civilians, cutting off babies' heads. Let me say that again. They're cutting off babies' heads. Okay, that we can have a debate about whether Netanyahu is a good guy or not. Now we are having that debate. That's Israeli's business right now. But the issue that's going to kill civilized society, and it's not just Israel, is going to be this behavior that it's somehow okay or some way justified. There is no justification, zero, zero tolerance. The reason we are here where we are today is because we have all put up for too long. We collectively as humanity, have put up with the Hitlers and the Ayatollahs and the Putins for too long. And we never have the guts to stop it. We just don't. We did it in World War II when we dropped bombs on it. Now we all can have a discussion about whether we should have leveled Dresden in Germany and how many innocent people got killed or whether we should have dropped two atom bombs in Japan, but we stopped it. We stopped the evil. The evil will always try to come back, just like weeds always come back. But we, we have to start to get our priorities together. I, and I our think that's a hard life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, period, full stop. My liberty ends where yours begins. I cannot step on you. You cannot step on me. Leave me alone. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. If we do stuff together, we like it. Great. Israel has made many mistakes. Of course they have. But in the grand scheme of things, this is an acne problem on a cancer. And we're sitting here debating about whether we should be using acne medicine when a patient has metastatic lung cancer and three months to live. Really, I, as a doctor, I, I cannot fathom this. As a philosopher, I can't fathom it. I really cannot. And it's a tragedy because humanity could has done so much. Look at our skyscrapers. Look at how some of us get to live. Many more people would get to live that way. In fact, many of the people that used to be in squalor have cell phones now because of where humanity has come. We can do better for a lot more people, but not if 95% of your funding is going to create bunkers underneath and make bombs. It's really simple. All right, I see a lot of questions like this and I want to get to them um, from X Twitter, Cuban Hermana asks, uh, Michael, I really feel for you in Israel, but I disagree that there is love for life when they cheer when IDF bombs Gaza. 
how do you reconcile this? So, I mean, I guess Cuban Hermana, I'd ask, do you think that there should be no response? Do you think that we should, that Israel should not um, try to eliminate the terrorists and their organizations? Uh, Michael. Yeah, look, I, 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 frankly, I don't respect your question. Um, I, and I think this is part of the problem that we're in. If someone comes in and annihilates my family, I am extremely comfortable and I will be gleeful when I annihilate them. If, if life, which we just said was at the foundation of everything we believe in, if someone takes away the life, our life or the life of a loved one or our colleagues or our citizens, we have not only every right, but we have a duty to annihilate them. And I mean that word annihilate. There is no acceptable aggressive force unless it's in defense. There is, and, and you can read a lot of philosophy about this. If you think the way to a successful society is to allow people to beat the shit out of you, and you say thank you, which is essentially what you're doing, then you're gonna end up with thuggery and you're gonna end up with Putin. And I don't believe right. in that. So this is a very interesting question from Sharon asking, uh, do you think that in this mission, Hamas is being used as step one of a bigger plan designed by the Iran, North Korea, China, Russia to get the U.S. to a weakened position between Ukraine, Israel, and then Taiwan? It's really interesting. Yeah, I think I mean, it also that. gets to why why the U.S. should should care and be involved. Yeah, I mean, I think the the first big for a big question is are there bad actors out there that want to take have a different world order um i think you you really would have had to be in a sleep for the last hundred years to not think that there are people that would rather be the number one country um china has said it we want to be it russia has tried it they they lost the cold war um and they haven't recovered since. And Putin's entire goal is to recreate the USSR and bring back the number one um, well-stocked with nuclear weapons country. Uh, Iran is a theocracy of a bunch of crazies mixed with the Iranian Revolutionary Guards who are nothing but a barbaric, muscle-bound um, assassination team. And if you think I'm making all this up, read, read about their history. You, you've seen the protest in Iran. So the notion that somehow the, what's considered good, which is, which is really US, Western Europe, and now more of Eastern Europe, along with um, Israel, and Israel being the lone example in the Middle East, with, with interestingly, Arab countries trying to come along. That's one group, that's, those are the good guys. Those are just like in World War II, they were the allies. They are the allies. Then you have the Axis, which is Russia and China and Iran and North Korea. None of us would prefer to live in those countries. Even the idiot students who are protesting what's going on, none of them wanna go there because their phones are taken away and they're not allowed to do what they want and they can't go into raves and they can't do everything. And as soon as they criticize the government, they're going to have their heads chopped off. They will. That's how it works over there. So I absolutely believe that this is a move by Iran. I said that before with backing from China and Russia as quietly as possible. Russia less so. By the way, Qatar has a lot of money, a lot of money from oil. They also pump in a lot of money here to take out the Western world and go into some kind of totalitarian mixed with theocratic autocracy. All right. Um, so in terms of being objective and having perspective, I think it's also important to acknowledge that in the past several years, there has been a lot of progress in terms of uh, treaties and um, peace accords with uh, between Israel and, and Arab countries. Thoughts on how what's happening right now can impact progress there? 
Sure, great, great timing on that question because many of you may know that Israel was this close to signing a yeah. deal with Saudi Arabia. And Israel is even, is even allowed now to go through Saudi Arabian airspace, which is something that hasn't happened. It just happened a couple of years ago. Um, this would be a major, major advancement for relations of everybody. Now, despite the fact that there are two parties to this deal, which is one is Arabic, obviously, and the other one is Israel, a lot of the reason the timing for this was that this deal was about to be signed and the goal that Iran has is to weaken its arch enemy. Well, it has two arch enemies. Its main arch enemy, of course, is Israel. But in the Arab world, um, Iran being Shiite and um, the Sunnis coming from, from uh, Saudi Arabia, Iran doesn't want to see the Sunnis succeed. They will, they will go to war just like they did in the Iran-Iraq wars and kill each other. So they, they hate each other about as much as they hate Jews. For those of you that think this is all about, just about anti-Semitism, these are actually good people if it weren't for the Jews. Well, they're good people except for the other sect of, major sect of, of Islam. Um, so this partly, I think, was a catalyst to have make this happen now, that this, this deal between, um, this normalization deal. Backing up, as, as Jag mentioned, they're, the beautiful deals done with the UAE and some of the other Arab countries, they're wonderful. The number of Israelis that go visit now to um, the, the major cities, um, the planes are full. And it, it's beautiful to see what would have been unthinkable 10, 10 years ago, to see Israelis, Jewish people, walking around in modernized cities a lot of it from oil money, but legitimate oil money, um, enjoying these countries and being welcomed and thanked. We, we can easily get along. Israel has no interest in harming anyone else. None. They have, there's no aggressive interest. Israel is not a colonizer. They're not, they were given land. They won land in a war where they were attacked from all sides. They, they are happy to be in their country. Yes, there are some fringe elements that are a problem. We discussed them with the government earlier. But folks, we're not the aggressors here. It, it's very clear. We are a country that wants to be left alone, to do our thing, and to work with others that want to. And the fact that we can do it with various Arab nations, and we're about to do it with the largest, I believe it's the largest Arab nation, is, is a beautiful thing. And I hope and I do believe that this will still, this deal will go through. And I remain optimistic as well. You know, we have uh, started to translate a lot of our um, animated videos into other languages. And as part of that experimentation, we translated uh, videos into Arabic and videos that get 1 million views in English have received up to 8 million views uh, per video in in Arabic. And I think that uh, it's a hopeful sign that there are individuals out there that are curious and perhaps eager to embrace reason and to explore capitalism and advance um, individual rights. They've had a lot of experience with other kinds of governing systems, um, the nationalism, Arab nationalism, the religious totalitarianism, and um, I think the younger generation is, is open to exploring some other kinds of uh, ways of living. So we're going to continue to to do that. And I'm, I'm optimistic about that. Uh, in the minute or two that we have left, Michael, and again, very, very grateful for giving us this time uh, with everything that you've got going on. I know you had board meetings all today and yesterday between popping down to the uh, the bomb shelter. Uh, any anything that you want the our audience to to take away from from this. Yeah, look, I, I think we would appreciate people helping to broadcast the truth of what's going on here, um, being very clear that our goal in Israel is to eliminate Hamas, be done with it, allow the people to of, of the Gaza area and frankly in the Palestinian Authority area to get hopefully someday have a government that actually puts them first. 
uh, and that they can start to thrive and to flourish, at least to have some of the basic things that we all take for granted. We just want to be left alone. Um, I think your intolerance of some of the misinformation and some of the frank, frankly despicable thought patterns that are out there, including the students from Harvard and Stanford, would be very helpful. Because one of the reasons that this has gone on for so long is because we, myself included, this generation has put up with every opinion matters and every opinion is equal. Well, some opinions are wrong um, and, and that's okay to say. And, it, and it, history bears it out. So thanks so much for being here. Um, our thoughts in Israel are with all your, with you and I, I hope yours are with us. Uh, if you wanna jump over here, it's great. You can connect with us. Uh, we have room, we'd be happy to go out to dinner Go to grab a coffee on the beach. Thank you. Well, Michael, I might take you up on that. I really appreciate it. Um, so thanks, Michael. Thanks to all of you who joined us today. Uh, record attendance. If you enjoyed this video or any of the other programming that we produce at the Atlas Society, head over to atlassociety.org and give us a tax deductible donation. We appreciate it. Uh, all new donations will be matched by our board of trustees. Be sure to tune in next week uh, when author Alexandra Hudson discusses her book, The Soul of Civility, Timeless Principles to Heal Society and Ourselves on the next episode of The Atlas Society Asks. Thanks, everybody.